He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, nau mai haramai ki te au hurehanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, kō Clerken Cannon tēnei. Imagine a future where your burger comes with a plankton patty, where you're prepped for a hospital operation with an algal anaesthetic. If Cawthorne Institute researchers have their way, this marine-themed future for food and pharmaceuticals will be just around the corner. To find out more, Alison Balance is in Nelson to visit the Cawthorne Institute's microalgal collection. It's one of Aotearoa's valuable national biological collections, and her guide is Chief Science Officer Dr. Kath McLeod. We're heading to the Culture Collection, which is an amazing collection of um, microalgae. Um, microalgae are little tiny microscopic organisms. You can't see them with the naked eye. They're photosynthetic, so they capture carbon dioxide and, and they take in nutrients and they use that to, to grow, to grow and divide. So is this plankton? Yes, yes, yeah. Ah, fantastic. Yep, yep, so yep, phytoplankton. Yep, phytoplankton. So, so you generally can't see them with the naked eye um, unless there's blooms, and then they can look like clouds in the sea at times. And then you can see them from space. Then you can see them from space, exactly, yeah. So we get all sorts of different blooms. The really spectacular ones can be luminescent and glow in the dark, and you guys have probably heard about phosphorescence. I've seen people maybe at night jumping off wharfs and the water shimmers off their bodies. And that's microalgae? That's microalgae, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, I'm not going to see any of that in the collection? <laughs> well, you'll see a whole lot of different types, but you won't see luminescence today. <laughs> OK, well, let's go and have a look. Yeah, cool. So it's a collection that's been um, in place for around, let's say, rough figures, 30 years. Um, so, yeah, so it's a very special collection, probably very untapped. So we know a little bit about it, and we'd love to know a lot, a lot more. Yeah. Great. Well, we've just stepped inside a door. Hi, I'm Alison. Hello, I'm Sarah. I'm the curator for the Culture Collection. Oh, thank you for letting me visit. <laughs> You're welcome. Wow. Okay, so we've come into a room that's full of racks with lots and lots of this little potholes on the racks. Yeah, this is mainly focused on the temperate Culture Collection. So the temperate, the nice cool. 17 degree. So these are mainly New Zealand isolates. We've also got um, tropical isolates at 25, and we've got a whole bunch of ones from Antarctica now um, in the fridge. <laughs> and so, I, you know, it's a really important thing to understand that it's a live collection. Um, so, you know, they have to be actively maintained um, in order to continue growing. We've got about 750 strains in total. So what does maintaining these little things involve? Um, well, each, each sort of cluster of three is one of our isolates. So about every three weeks I check the health of the cultures and then we transfer them into new growth media. And we've got about... 13, 14 different types of growth media that we make. For, so that's for essentially the water that they're in? Yeah, it's basically seawater or fresh water with added nutrients. But mm. some sort of co- more coastal species, um, they have quite a lot of soil in the water and there's just different balances of nutrients and some suit some more than others. Mm. Okay, <laughs> well looking at them, some, some of the bottles look almost completely clear, the others look like they've got a tiny little yellowy green film yeah. in the bottom. Yeah, ones. most of the dinoflagellates. Oh, there's flag- pink at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. most of the dinoflagellates are this kind of brown. That's, that one's actually quite orange, but a sort of greedy brown colour. Mm-hmm. And then some of the blue-greens uh, are really gorgeous green. And mm-hmm. we, we have got a few pink ones, which is nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> I like the pink ones, yeah. Have you got any particular favourites in here? <laughs> or oh, do yeah. you shower them with equal amounts of love? Well, no, <laughs> some of them are definitely more interesting than others, and that's I really enjoy looking down the microscope at them 
and there's a beautiful um, phaeocystis which forms colonies. It's a tiny, tiny, they look like pinpoints really under the microscope, but it forms these colonies that are kind of like dandelion clocks. So you can, they're, they're like globes just, and you can, you can go up and down through the globe in the, with the microscope and that's my favourite one. <laughs> um, and some of them, are, well, most of them are motile, which very much surprised me when I first started. So they can move? Yeah. Yeah, they swim around. Some of them zoom around quite fast. Some of them sort of ping like little pinball machines. Some of them slink along the bottom. How does a microplant swim? They have little flagella, like little hair-like structures that they can wave around to whip themselves around. So in the water column, they're very clever. You know, they can stratify to particular parts. This is out in the ocean, you know, to particular parts of the water column where the light, nutrient content, temperature is just, you know, spot on. The history of how this began is quite interesting. So Cawthron, many years ago now, became involved in shellfish monitoring so shellfish can accumulate algae because they feed off algae in the water and sometimes algae produce really nasty toxins and the shellfish can accumulate that and then if people eat enough of it they can become sick so Cawthron became involved in testing shellfish toxins and also routinely collecting microalgae from around the country in seawater and the idea being that if we detected certain species of microalgae, it's a predictor of shellfish toxicity. And so we started doing that for the government, and, um, and the collection was born, really. We started collecting some of these isolates um, that were interesting, and that's really just grown over 30-odd years. And now we collect not only bad ones that produce toxins, but also just, just a hot, full range of microalgae. Increasingly, we hope to collect non-toxics, because we've started to realise that, you know, they can be very good for human health. So what we're looking at here really then is a whole lot of untapped potential. Yeah, that's right, that's right, you know, and and we, you know, we would dearly love to have access to really large funds to be able to comprehensively screen this collection for both known and unknown compounds. We know that some of the compounds they produce um, can be used in pharmaceuticals, and you'll talk to Andy this afternoon about a compound called neosaxitoxin, which holds great promise as a local anaesthetic. Um, it's a very exciting piece of our work. And this is the, that's the one that's producing the neosaxitoxin. So you're holding a flask, which is? Alexandrium pacificum. Alexandrium pacificum, and it's a beigey, yellowy colour. Yeah, they distribute themselves right through the water column. And, you know, I suppose the really fascinating thing about Alexandrian Pacificum is we know it really well because of the negative impacts it has on the shellfish sector and human health. So we, we know pretty well which algae are the bad ones. I think the intriguing part for us is, you know, to, to explore more which ones hold major potential to impact into human health, either through nutrition or pharmaceuticals. You know, for us, collaborations with the likes of the Maligan Institute on cancer research is, is where we want to head with this collection because, uh, you know, I think that we've really only discovered the tip of the iceberg here at the moment. Now, I'm off to meet Cawthorn Institute researchers Andy Selwood and Matt Miller. They're in the business of unlocking all this plankton potential for food and drugs. And they're doing it in a facility that, at first glance, seems rather a long way from the modern molecular suite where the microalgae collection is housed. 
So we're in the Wakatu Industrial Estate and we're in a facility located behind Anime, it's a pet store, next to a second-hand uh, clothing store and the building that we're about to enter into is the old freezing works, it was the cool store. But as is often the case, first impressions can be very misleading. Welcome to the future, he says. Wow! Yeah, we've used this facility as kind of the next step up from the laboratory to a, a pilot plant where we can have a bit of a play and prototype equipment and work out the best way to grow this algae, but also potentially we can use it on this scale for commercial production too. I think we'll start off by going into this room. So this is where it starts looking really sci-fi. So we've got the master control system, which is ubiquitous touchscreen computer here, which is quite large. And next to it is a foot-high glass container with a green algae with air bubbling through it. On its three of its sides, there is an array of lights that are beaming in energy at certain wavelengths. And this will be growing under different conditions to all these other bioreactors. There are 16 bioreactors here, all testing different conditions to optimize its growth. So these will be grown for a week, and over that week we'll understand how much biomass it's made, but also what bioactives they have inside that. So this experiment right now is really trying to find a alternative protein source for the food system. So instead of using animal-based protein or a vegetable-based protein, we could use an algal-based protein and grow it in a larger version of this that we can have improved environmental, improved nutritional outcomes. So what kind of nutrients are you looking for? Are you after what, some proteins, some fatty acids? What are you looking for? This experiment right now is focused on protein. We're working with a company called Newfish, who are very interested in revolutionising the food system by creating algal protein sources. So who would have thought maybe 15 years ago the ubiquity of like plant-based burgers in all our diets? Uh, the next step in that evolution could be algae-based food systems. So I've been working on a drug development project um, looking at a compound that's derived from microalgae to be used as a long-acting local anaesthetic. A local anaesthetic, okay. Yeah, so the difference with this substance compared to uh, conventional local anaesthetics is it will last not only a matter of hours, but up to days. So it can be used for your surgical procedure and then also to manage the post-operative pain, which has the added benefit of reducing the need for opioids to manage pain. Andy's talking about neosaxitoxin, which, as we heard from Kath and Sarah, comes from the microalgae Alexandrium pacificum. It's quite an interesting story because it, it, it's taken a microalgae that was harmful, so it was having a, a negative effect on our aquaculture industry, the mussel farmers. So this organism produces this compound, which can be toxic, certain doses so this ends up in shellfish if we eat those shellfish then we can become ill so we took that and we are using this toxin at doses that are safe and can be applied in a specific way where it can be used as a local anaesthetic are you excited by the potential of this yeah i'm very excited by the potential of this 
microalgae's got a huge future ahead. We've only really just scratched the surface of the possibilities. We've done this for land-based organisms, for discovering drugs for hundreds of years now. But if this drug is successful, this will be the first one derived from algae. So algae are extremely efficient at synthesising these compounds, much more efficient than what we could ever be in the laboratory. And most drugs have originated from natural sources originally. And we've gone through a phase of trying to synthesise novel compounds ourselves. And now we've got this opportunity to explore what exists in the ocean. And the ocean covers over 70% of the Earth's surface. So there's this huge untapped resource there with, with a lot of potential. Thanks to Alison Balance, who produced that story. Alison spoke to Dr. Kath McLeod, Sarah Challenger, Andy Selwood and Dr. Matt Miller, all from the Cawthorn Institute. Sound engineering was by William Saunders. To learn more, visit rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Tēnākoe i whakarongo mai. Thanks for listening. Kōkrek and kānanaho. Kia pai. Te wiki.